You know, there probably Christmas is one of the biggest traditional times that we have each year, especially so in our churches. We've talked about how people can take the death of Christ and turn it around to where in 2,000 years they're worshiping the death of the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth with colored eggs and baskets and new clothes and Easter bunnies. That's what we do. We take something like that and mess it up for our own agenda. And it's done that away with Christmas a great deal. Last week, I was watching Fox News, and Brett Baer had a man on there, a cardinal from the church in New York State. And they were discussing the situation how that now the number of people who have no religion in the United States is climbing every day. They called them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. In other words, they were having nothing to do. They didn't have none to do with Jesus or religion or anything else of that order. And they said that the nuns were getting to be more and more all the time. They mentioned that before, several years ago, the nuns who were around at least believed that God was our friend. And now they believe, he wasn't our enemy, but now they believe that God is our enemy. He's out to get them. And so they don't even want to do anything, anything like what the Bible talks about. So Brett asked this cardinal, what do you consider the way to handle these people who have nothing to do with Jesus? And his answer was this, I think you've got to show them the beauty of the birth of Christ before they've got to see the beauty of the birth of Christ before they can actually deal with the birth of Christ. That bugs a preacher like me. (laughs) Because I want to share something with you this morning. And I don't want to take anything away from what you believe about Christmas. Because it can be a very beautiful time of the year. But the way God shares that thing with us wasn't very beautiful back then. A time when God's plan started with the church, Jesus introduced the church to the world. But Jesus had to be here to introduce that church to the world. 
and to prove that he and God were stronger than Satan. Satan had introduced death into the world. And the people of Jesus' day, they knew about Satan and death. And they were scared to death. The Bible says they were in bondage to fear because their enemy, Satan, was the strongest power on the earth, they thought. So in order for Jesus to prove that God and he were stronger than Satan, he had to become a man like us. Because you see, he was a God in heaven. And gods don't die. So he had to become a man because men had died ever since Adam's sin. He introduced or welcomed death into the world. So in order for them to to die and overcome Satan's idea of death, he had to become a man and he had to die. He came to die. Jesus did. And the way he proved that he and God were the most powerful force on earth was three days after he legitimately died, he came back to life. That's the whole picture right there. He overcame Satan and showed everybody that he was stronger than Satan by coming back from the death that Satan introduced to this earth. And that was the whole reason that Jesus had to be a human and he had to die. And in order to be a human, he had to be born. And that's what this is all about. There's something I want to share with you before we go any further. Because as Jesus was standing in Pilate's hall, some of you have heard this, some of you have heard me, me talk about it, Jesus was standing there tied, beaten by the soldiers and whatever, fixing to go to the cross the next morning. And Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he said, did you come up with that or did somebody tell you? And then he made this statement. Jesus himself made this statement on the night before he was killed the next day. He said, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I might bear witness unto the truth. He gave the reason why he was here. That he might stand and swear to what is truth and teach us what is truth and what is not truth. And he finished his statement by saying, and the people of the truth hear my voice. So what I would like to do this morning 
to turn to chapter 2 of Luke, where Luke, who was an amateur historian, wrote the account of the birth of Christ. But we'll look at it from the King James Version of the way it was and what Luke said about it. Now please understand, Luke wasn't there. So he was told what happened. And we've got this Bible that we read so that we might know what's going on. And we'll make comments as we go. So chapter 2 of Luke in verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now his own city was where he was born because he had to be this is a census was taken so they'd be able to tax everybody. They'd have to have a number of, of, of who was there and they had to go to the city where they were born like we do now. You have to write down on your census paper who your dad was and who your mom was. Well, they had to go to the city where they were born in order to be registered to be taxed. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea into the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child. Now look at this picture. We see all these depictions of the birth of Jesus and all the things they add to it that are not in here. Number one, I want to show you something. It was 67 miles approximately from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's how far Joseph had to carry Mary, his 13, 14-year-old wife, who was so pregnant she was about to deliver that day or the next. We see this picture of her on a donkey. We have no clue that she rode a donkey. Most people in that day's walked. She might have just walked for 67 miles to get to the place where they both had to be by law to be registered so they could be taxed. Maybe Joseph had enough to afford a donkey. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But we always see her riding on a donkey. We know they rode a donkey to Egypt later on, but we don't know about this. How they got from Nazareth to Bethlehem, we don't know. But here it was. <laughs> she had a baby on this night, and they had recently Within a day or two, traveled 
67 miles. And so it was that while they were there, verse 6, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. It came her time, as they say in today's present language. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there's a lot of story that's been made out of that verse right there. But what we need to know is this. It was her time. She probably, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. She probably had the swaddling clothes with her. She probably traveled with them knowing that she was probably going to have a child before she got back home. That word manger... and laid him in a manger. The manger defined in Bible dictionaries is a stall, S-T-A-L-L, a stall, or a crib. Now, there's some interesting things that we see that we've got, to, we, 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 we have to wipe off the record of, of what we've seen because it wasn't there. It could have been some boards put up around the end on the outside. Because you see, in a present day motel, you got to have a place to park the cars, right? Well, usually, motel owners don't own livestock. If they do, they don't have it right there at the place. So, this inn owner could have had stalls built around the outside for travelers who came in on their donkeys and camels and whatever to leave them there overnight. But an inn in those days was not a place where you rented rooms. It was a high wall and a courtyard in the middle and a big gate so it could be locked and protect the people that were inside. The inn, people stayed in inns for protection. Mostly it had a shed on the inside of this wall all the way around it. And you could pay extra where you wouldn't have to sleep out on the ground in the middle with some of the animals that happened to be there. But you were in plain sight of everybody. Mary needed privacy. Joseph knew this. And when he got to the end, he found that it was so full that they couldn't take another person. And the innkeeper offered a place where there would be some privacy. In this place called a stall, they put it, they interpreted it manger. We see these pictures of a trough where you would feed something grain. They didn't feed their animals grain, so they didn't have troughs. They fed their animals hay 
or fodder in that day, stems of wheat or oats or barley. And so what they, they called a manger and what we might think of as a trough, which would be a comfortable little place to put a baby in a blanket, happened to be a hay rack. And she laid him on the hay in the hay rack. But it was private. And she wrapped her own baby in the swaddling clothes. It was a hundred years after Jesus was born that one of the writers fellow by the name of Justin Martyr wrote that it was actually a cave that was owned by the inn owner that was around behind in the side of the hill of the of the the the, the hill that the inn was built on. He's the one that said it was a cave and a, a place where animals were fed. That was a hundred years after Jesus was born. But because Justin Martyr lived just 40 miles down the road, it became part of the story. Because they figured he lived so close, he must have known. Well, here's the thing. When I start Googling anything about this Bible, I find all kind of scholars conjecturing about what happened and how this might have been and how that might have been, and they use all kind of things that don't have anything to do with God and His power. But I know this was the truth that what is written here was the truth. Because you see, Jesus is the one that wrote this Bible. And Jesus came so that there would not be one single untruth of anything He had anything to do with. And this Bible is true. Every single word. You can take it any way you want to. The God whom I serve the God who sent His Son to save me sent Him so that there would be no untruths. In the sixth chapter of Proverbs, there is a verse that says, there were six things that God hates, yea, there are seven that are abomination to Him. And the number one thing on the list was a proud look. The number two thing was a lying tongue. God can't abide a lie, and Jesus can't either. So what they left for me in this book, I know to be the truth. Why? Because I trust Jesus to be a truthful person. They didn't feed their livestock in those days grain. They ate grain themselves. They couldn't waste it on livestock. So there was no reason for a trough. They fed them hay and grass and stems and such sort of stuff. There was no room for them in the inn. 
Jesus had to, or Joseph had to find a place for Mary to have Jesus. And he found the stall where animals were fed. Now, we see in all these manger scenes, the camels, there's no word here about camels, but they came with the wise men, but the wise men didn't come to the manger. It says when they came, they went to the house to see Jesus. Jesus wasn't in the, in the cave anymore. He was in a house. That was later. So there were no camels there. They didn't have cows, so it wasn't cows. They might have had goats. They Some of them milked goats. And it could have been burros, little donkeys that they rode around, the travelers rode on, if they had enough money to own one. So there could not have been any animals at all there. Could have just been Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And God didn't make a big deal about it either at the time. Because look at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. The light and the angels appeared and scared the shepherds to death. Now these were men who lived, they didn't have homes, they lived out in the woods, in the fields. They were used to spending the night on the ground. If they knew they were going to be in a place a little while, they said the hills were made out of chalk. They could dig a cave most anywhere they wanted to in a half a day that they could get out of the weather. But there wasn't a lot of rain in that place in those days either. So these shepherds were a bunch of rough folks they didn't have homes. The town people didn't think anything of them at all. Didn't trust them. They like a bunch of carnies that we took, my mom and them talked about years ago. They traveled all the time because they'd run out of grass and they'd have to move their sheep. They couldn't stay in one place. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The angel said, Everybody's going to have joy about this, and I'm telling you about it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Everybody had been looking for a Messiah, folks, for years. And the angel is announcing to this bunch of shepherds, that he has just been born. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That was a pretty small clue. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This must have been a pretty big show. This was shinier probably than the Grammys or the Emmys or any of those things they come up with on TV. 
But see, the shepherds had already got the message. They knew what was going on. Something big is happening. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. That was the only people he told, folks. How many Bibles do you think there are in the world today? How many people have access to read this right here and to know exactly what went on? But in that day, the only people God told that his son had just been born, a human being on earth, were a bunch of shepherds. The city folks claimed they were the lowest of the social caste. I mean, after all, nobody took a bath much in those days. But a shepherd stayed around those stinking sheep all the time and he probably never figured he was going to take a bath anyhow. And the townspeople said they were uncivilized people. And they came with haste and found. I underline that word, found. They had to look for the baby. The shepherds did. Bethlehem wasn't that big a place. But all they knew was he was in a stall where they were feeding animals. That's all they knew. And so they found him. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. When they found what the angels had told them was happening, they told everybody they saw. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. (laughs) That's a rough bunch. You can't believe anything they tell you. That's the biggest white story I ever heard in my life. Angels came down and light shone and everybody from heaven praising God. Those guys are about half crazy anyhow. And that was the only people they told. And the people that the shepherds told. I don't know how many they were. The inn was full. David was born in Bethlehem, so all of his descendants would have been there in town to be registered. That's the reason the inn was full. It's like a ball game day in Tuscaloosa probably. You can't get a motel room. Wonder if what they're telling us is true. Sounds wild to me. That was the announcement of the birth. And the lowest class bunch of people in town was the ones that was telling it. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Have you ever gone back to read what the angel exactly told Mary about all of this when it started out? That she was going to be pregnant with a man 
that would save the world? The own Son of God? 13, 14 year old girl? Raised very simply. The girls weren't educated in those days. They educated the Jews, educated the boys. But the only thing the girls knew is what they heard their mom and daddy teach their brothers. And she thought about all this. You know, all the way through this thing of the life of Jesus, from this day, when she had a youngin' after she just traveled 67 miles, the first thing I thought about is 150 years ago when so many people were traveling west in these covered wagons. Oh, you see them on TV all the time in the westerns. A woman who was due within four or five days probably walked alongside the wagon. She couldn't stand the bumping. Maybe some of you knew or know about this old wives' tale. Ladies in Mata Valor who were overdue, folks would joke and say they needed to travel them up down the streets of the college because it was brick and it was rough and it would jumble around them so that they'd have a youngin' that day. I thought about those women that walked alongside the wagons going west. Stop. Maybe leave somebody with her and the helper and then have to catch up with the wagon train if it didn't stop for that. And some of them, they said, didn't. This had to be tough on this young lady. Mighty, mighty tough. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, they came along after the fact. All they saw was Mary and Joseph and the baby in a place where they fed livestock. I would think that a witness of this event by visitors from heaven, angels, and heavenly beings making a big to-do out of it and a bright light showing from heaven to know that God was in all this. Had to be. So what was beautiful about all this? Show them the beauty first, the cardinal said. The only people that I know in this that really got a chance to experience anything that might be beautiful would have been the shepherds. <laughs> they saw heaven unfold and the residents of heaven praising God in a bright light. And then eight days later, according to Moses' law, Joseph and Mary 
walked or rode their, their donkey seven miles up to Jerusalem to the temple to have the baby circumcised as was the Jewish law. And they came back to the cave. Most people don't realize that the Jewish law said when a Jewish woman who was married had a baby, she was unclean for 41 days. She couldn't move. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't be around anybody. She couldn't touch anybody until her period of uncleanness was purified. So they could have stayed in that cave 41 days before they left. Because they couldn't get in public with her. They couldn't take her into crowds or anything except the temple. And my understanding from what little studying I've been able to do that they had a special place for a woman who had just had a child to come into the temple and to go out of the temple without having to get mixed with anybody. Look down at chapter 2. In verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. You can go back in the, the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and read those laws of Moses that women had to go through when they had children. It was different for girls than it was for boys. Her woman was over her situation if she had a girl in seven days, eight days, when she went to, to the temple to have them named. But a, girl, a woman with a boy... It took 41 days for them to get over the situation as far as the law of Moses was concerned. That is what is said about the birth of Jesus. And everything else that we see plus that has been added to it by people today to have some sort of extravaganza or whatever. As far as I can see, the biggest thing to happen in the way of celebrating was the angels going to the shepherds. Now think about it. People in their hometown didn't know they didn't know he was Jesus, the Messiah. The only people who might have known in Bethlehem 
where the people that the shepherds told. So Jesus in that day was born pretty much without anybody knowing about it. And that's the reason Mary, like I said a minute ago, I've always thought about Mary pondered this thing. And every time you see Mary mentioned from the birth of Christ to the crucifixion which she was standing there and saw her son die at the cross. She's studying about this all along. It said one other account they had when he was 12 years old and they went to Jerusalem to be counted again and the crowd of people from Nazareth that went with them, when they left Jerusalem and was going back home, they a day after they was on the road, they got to looking for him. And they couldn't find Jesus. He was a 12-year-old boy. Of course, in those days... A 12-year-old boy who was a Jew was considered to be educated in the religion. He knew what was going on as far as God was concerned. But they had to go back and find him. And when they finally found him, he was in the temple talking with the priest. And the priests were somewhat amazed at how much understanding he had of the questions he was asking them. But I tell you then, Jesus still didn't have the Holy Spirit and the power of God in his life to do all the miracles he did and understand all it and everything else until the Holy Spirit came on his shoulder in the Jordan as he was being baptized by John the Baptist. But we know that he was a bright kid. because he could discuss things with the priest and they were impressed with him. The other people who can see beauty in all of this is you and I who are born again believers today who know that because of this you and I are born again. We're saved. Jesus is our Savior. This man who came and was born like this and lived like he lived and died on a cross for us and came back to life was the one who saved us And if you can think about anything that makes you different than people who do not have Jesus Christ, you've got to give Him credit for every bit of that. We can see beauty in this. But in that day, it didn't appear to me, like I said, with the exception of the shepherd, that many people saw beauty in this because they didn't even know who Jesus was. Now, there's a point I'd like to make at this place. 
Jesus wasn't on welfare. Mary and Joseph never got a check. They weren't wealthy people at all. But this is the way God planned it, people. He planned this to happen just like it happened. It wasn't an accident. And it wasn't a shortcoming on their part. They were doing all they could to do what they were supposed to do. This is the way God planned His Son and our Savior to be turned from a God that lived in heaven with Him to a human being who had all the limitations that we have until He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something we saw last week for you who might not have been here in Colossians, the book of Colossians, verse one, our chapter one, and verse fifteen says that Jesus was the one that created everything that was created. I, I, I said last week that the term God is used interchangeably in the, in the Word. You have to look at the substance to see whether or not it's God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the one that created everything. And it said it created things for Him. They were created by Him for Him. Now the thing that really was the point and David, you and I talk about this kind of stuff. And I had to go to the second Peter to find out the rest of the story. As Paul used to say. It said that in him or by him. They're not sure which preposition was used in the original terminology. All things consist. And that word defined consist means that the first definition of it is to be. The second definition is to hold together. Now in Second Peter it says that when the world comes apart, and God and Christ form a new heaven and a new earth that everything will disintegrate. It will go back to dust. And it, it assumes in the verse in Colossians that if Jesus, that we are all dependent on Jesus for the magnetism in our smallest cells, in the atoms that make us up, we are dependent on Jesus for that magnetism to hold us together. If Jesus, for some reason, quit being Jesus today, we would disintegrate and completely disappear except for maybe a pile of dust. When Jesus went through the creation process, He left a connection with us and with Jesus. Not just Christians, the creation. 
Everybody takes their next breath and their heart beats the next beat because Jesus lived. And He is who He is. That puts us closer to Jesus than we ever thought we were. In my mind it does. So, to use the expression, I'm going to go to church to find Jesus today. No, you don't do that. Because Jesus is in you already. He's with you 24-7. He's with you all the time. He and the Holy Spirit dwell together. It says, in John chapter 14, In verse 18, he says right before he's crucified, before he leaves the earth, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I'm fixing to go to the cross and I'm going to be gone for a little while, but I'll be back, he said, and I'm coming for you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Do you see what that says? We are dependent on him even to live, to exist, to be. And at that day, what day? When you receive the Holy Spirit, and you know that you have a part of God Himself inside of you. Ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye are in me, Jesus says, and I in you. You can't get any closer to anybody, people, in our lives. We can't get closer to anybody than we are already close to Jesus Christ. And the fact that He wants the best for you and the best for me, how could you be any better? The fact is you can't. God the Father planned all this from the very start. He planned it to happen just like He planned it, just like He said it. Please understand, God intended it for it to be just like it was. I can see the beauty of it. You can probably see the beauty of it. But to a nun, a N-O-N-E, who has nothing to do with Jesus or God, or religion, or church, or anything, you can't show him the beauty of this. <laughs> they can't see it. Because it's not about what we make about Christmas. 
Christmas is about Jesus and Him being born and all the things that now we know that we can experience because Jesus is our Savior. I say to you this morning, and I'm trying to be as truthful as I know how to be and as truthful as Jesus wants me to be. The most important thing that will ever happen to any of us between the time we are born and the time we die is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and have Him be living in us, guiding our every move and controlling our every thought. One thing Satan is trying to do is trying to convince people, the creation, the saved and the unsaved, that God is over yonder. Jesus is over yonder. And you're over here. That's not true. He's right here. And you can't get away from Him. Please understand that. It might help you if you have chosen not to accept Christ as Savior. It might help you to understand enough that you might simply call it. So my Bible says it. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to go to classes to learn how to be saved. You don't have to pray a certain prayer. If you call on God, Lord, save me, He's going to do it. Any way you ask Him. So I encourage you this morning. Please do that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your story. Thank You for the truth. That the way you planned the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how few people knew about it until he started walking the streets and preaching in your name. Lord, we thank you for this time of year and the real meaning of it and all the extras that we're involved in too. We'll thank you for that too. But let us know, Lord, what the real picture is supposed to be. That salvation for us is free, but it wasn't free for you, and it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost you a great deal. So, Lord, let us be thankful this Christmas. And as we look at all the other things that people are doing, let's think about Christ. Jesus Christ and His birth. That He came to save us from our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.